Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Ryan Holland is no stranger to the Bob Siegel Show, founder of the CGM Radio Network, but these past couple of years doing something far more exciting, acting in movies and television shows. He has the lead starring title role in Bonhoeffer versus the Third Reich, a very important film, a true story, so true it's unfortunately becoming true in our time again. Ryan Holland, welcome to our program. Hey, Bob. Good to be back on. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, boy, we've got so much to talk about, and I want to get into this film. But first, I know you've been acting for years. You've gotten some better breaks the last few years, but you've been acting for a long time. Why don't we just start with your pilgrimage as an actor? What got you into acting? I know your family does it, too. I know your kids have been involved in youth theater. Tell us a little bit about that to start with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's important to note we'll probably hit on what's going on in Israel a little later. Yeah, that's very timely. We did not plan today's talk with that in mind. This was planned a couple of months ago, and it's very timely what's going on in Israel. It was that we're talking about a movie about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German Lutheran pastor born 1906, part of a conspiracy to take down Adolf Hitler, who is, of course, anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, which is what the Israelis, the Jews, are dealing with today. So the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are in our prayers. And, of course, we're also praying that the terrorists would lay down their arms and turn to Jesus. But my journey, quickly, is very interesting. Growing up, I'm 45 years old. I never fathomed I would get into acting. I didn't grow up thinking, oh, I'll be an actor one day. What basically what happened was that as I got into my mid to late 30s, people began telling me that I looked like various actors. And it happened so often that I remember there was one day about six years ago, I literally looked up and I said, God, do you have something for me here? I mean, it was so strange and bizarre. So I kind of began looking into it. And then 2018, just the desire to get into acting just became really, really, really strong. And I just could not shake it. I'm like, what am I going, you know, what am I doing? What's going on? I'm 41 years old. I'm married with four kids. Why am I even messing with? I mean, I live in a small town north of Houston. Like, this makes no sense. I don't live in LA. What's going on here? And it got to the point actually to where into 2019 to where I couldn't shake it, but also didn't know what to do. And I was like, okay, there's no way this is God, right? There's no, like, I know this isn't God. This is crazy. How come I can't let this thing go? So April, 2019, I took a drive and it was just me and God in the car. And I decided to just tell the Lord exactly how I felt, <laughs> which, which involved a bit of what we would have, we would call fervent prayer. Now, uh, I'm curious, uh, why would you think that acting could not be of God? What would have put that thought in your mind? Well, I guess I didn't think that, not that anybody could. Right. Could Somehow you didn't God think it was for you, but, though. Yeah, but, for, but I'm like, well, what are the odds, right, that God would be calling me into acting? That was I was more so kind of playing the odds a bit, I think, in my head. And not only that, but so much of Hollywood and acting is just absolutely diabolical and dreadful. Sadly, the profession of acting is oftentimes very, and understandably so, linked to a lot of the garbage that we see coming out of Hollywood. And so in my mind, it's like, okay, odds are this probably isn't God. (laughs) And it's not usually a very family-friendly profession either, is it? Correct. Correct. Exactly. So I just took a drive. And I just had a literal come to Jesus moment with Jesus in the car, crying out to God, saying, God, 
please take this desire for acting away from me. So that lasted for about five minutes. And then I don't say this lightly. This does not happen to me very often. It doesn't even happen to me once a year. But what happened was that I felt very strongly the presence of the Holy Spirit fill the car. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And then I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're going to do this. Now, what kind of acting experience had you had prior to this? I assume you had at least been on stage and a few things like that. So I think when I was in, if I remember correctly, second grade, I did a choir performance of Mary Poppins in my elementary school. Oh, my Um, gosh. Well, that should be right there on the resume. Didn't you also play a tree in kindergarten one time? So absolutely no acting experience whatsoever, no theater experience whatsoever. When I tell you this was out of nowhere, Bob, this was out of nowhere. And so in that moment, when I felt the presence of the Spirit fill the car, and I I felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me that I'm going to go into this profession, for one, I was shocked, right? I was just absolutely shocked. I'm like, no way, this isn't happening. Secondly, I was disappointed because I was like, man, I really did want to like get acting out of my life. But then after the disappointment wore off, I was like, well, okay, if God is calling me into this, well, then maybe he has something for me. And so at that point on, like right after that, I got into the car, like expecting to shed acting once for all. And I got out of the car with a calling to to go in to do this. And so that's the story of my beginnings. And then by December 2019, I had had my first two acting gigs, my first commercial modeling gig, and then it just kind of gone from there. Now, was it a lot of commercials at first? I know when I first met you, you were doing a lot of commercials and a few other things, but I was hearing a lot of commercial work. Yeah, I was really blessed. It's funny. I did. If you go onto Amazon and look up Genius Matt, you'll see a video of me modeling the Genius Matt, this thing you stand on. That was like the first modeling gig. And then I did a couple short films. But yeah, there was a a good amount of commercial work that I was doing for whatever reason. They, I seemed to, they liked me and I liked them on the commercial realm. And so really for actors doing commercials and doing modeling and those types of things is really kind of a way to bring in income in between film gigs. And there, it's a lot of fun. Commercials are a lot of fun. You meet new people. It's great networking. It's a new location every time. And, and so I really, really enjoyed doing that. But yeah, those were a lot of resume builders, a lot of com- more commercials than film, for sure. And this um, was and in so. Texas. Would you say things are a lot more diversified these days that the days where you have to be living in Hollywood are over with all the independent films and the outbreak of the internet and streaming and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even though COVID and our response to COVID was an unspeakable tragedy, to say the least, what it did do, it kind of forced so someone like me who can live in a small town north of Houston can actually audition for all of the major film and TV projects that are out there and commercials and so forth. So long as I'm willing to travel to where the job is and I have the freedom and flexibility to do that, and thankfully I do have that, then yes, you can really, because it's so much of your recording self-tapes and submitting those tapes through places like Actors Access or Casting Networks backstage. And I have an agent out of, actually out of Los Angeles now, who is submitting me for projects all over. And so, yeah, gone are the days that you have to kind of give up everything and move out to Los Angeles to do acting. Now, that being said, the competition is incredibly fierce. Every time I'm on set, I'm thinking to myself, I shouldn't be here (laughs) because statistically speaking, I really shouldn't. But but at the same token, well, it's like I should be here because I know that this is something that God has called me to. And I am getting these jobs and I'm getting this work because of his grace and his work alone. And he's the one that 
deserves all the glory, which for me as an actor, it's, it's wonderful that I can, any glory that might come my way, I can just put it back to the Lord. It's beyond wonderful. If I didn't know Jesus, it'd be very easy to let ego and that sort of thing be supreme. But because I know Christ, any praise or adulation that may come my way, I can just point my finger up to heaven and just give Jesus all the glory. So it's wonderful. But yeah, long answer. But yeah, you can with the internet, with self-tapes, with COVID pushing everybody indoors. Yeah, you could be an actor and from anywhere. What would you say has been the proportion of the auditions you've gone to, of jobs you've gotten, as opposed to them saying, not today, thank you very much? Oh, oh God. Are you trying to make me depress Bob right now? (laughs) But the story we usually hear is that people have a lot of failure before they have success. Has that been your story? I've known you mostly since you've had a lot of success, but I know there've been times you've called me and you've been discouraged too. So I've certainly seen both sides of it. Yeah, I have. I've been discouraged a lot. I was honestly, I was discouraged today about something. Oh no. Yes, Even though you see, get to be on the famous Bob Siegel show, you were still discouraged. I know you, I know you would think that that would like... Yeah, yeah you'd think that would just even up everything right there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I was discouraged about two things today, actually. It is part of the actor's journey that if you cannot handle rejection, you do not need to be an actor. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how pretty you are. If you can't, you will be rejected in this business and you'll be rejected a lot. That's probably Um, true for all of the arts too. I know writers go through the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Anything, when you're getting paid to do something like write or perform, whether it's film acting or theater or it's writing, writing novels, writing scripts, whatever it is, the competition is fierce because so many people want to do that kind of passion for their living. So I'll give you an example. My former acting coach, who was actually Gaius on The Chosen, if your audience is familiar with him, Kirk B.R. Waller, he has a, and this is a very good, he catalogs the number of auditions versus bookings. I hope it's okay for me to say this publicly, but he told me that he had a 20% booking rate. So in other words, one out of every five auditions, he got the job. And that is a spectacular booking rate, Bob. Well, and look at him now starring in a hit TV series like The Chosen. Right, right. And he, look, he paid his dues. He's been in the business almost 40 years. And so as an actor, that's what I've had to do. I don't have that kind of breakdown. I haven't kept those kind of records. I've actually just started to do that. But if I had to guess auditions versus bookings, I would probably say one out of 10, one out of 15, somewhere in there. You can do a lot of auditions and not get a booking, but it's just kind of like in sales. You have to think of it as every no is that much closer to a yes. And if you put in the work, you work hard and you develop your craft and you devote yourself to what you're doing, you stay faithful and consistent, then I think you'll eventually see success. So the main thing is you don't give up, assuming you have talent and you should be doing it in the first place. Correct. Correct. And for me, like what, there are times, Bob, I will tell you what, the only thing, the only thing that has kept me going is Jesus. I have just wanted to give it up. That has happened like recently, like a month ago, Bob, you have to be solid in your head game with acting if you're going to make it. And for me, if it wasn't for I, me knowing that God has called me to this, then I don't think I would have lasted. Personally, I don't know how people do it without God. I don't know. I can't give advice to people who don't acting and don't know the Lord. Like, I don't know what I would say to them because what Jesus has gotten me through it, but he has just shown himself so faithful. And even to the extent that I got to be Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a feature-length film is just absolutely, it's still 
blows me away that that happened. Yeah, and I want to spend most of our time talking about that. Before we get to it, though, have there been other feature films you were in prior to Bonhoeffer? I seem to remember oh. one that was based on the Book of Revelation, but I don't remember uh, if that was a film so, or an episode of a TV series. Yeah, th- that was actually the very first acting gig I did. It was uh, called The Book of Revelation with a wonderful director named Jose Nieves. Yeah, that was my first acting gig. I actually played Judas Iscariot for about one minute, and actually that is on Amazon Boy, Prime. From Judas to Bonhoeffer, that really runs yeah. the gamut, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes, I'd say I'm moving in the right direction, uh, <laughs> but this is the only actual feature-length hour and 30-minute-plus film that I've starred in, but there have been other projects. You know, I've done a lot of short films and stuff that I've done as well. People can find, if you're interested in my work, you can go to, uh, probably the best way to follow me would be on Instagram or Facebook at Ryan Holland Acts, A-C-T-S, or my webpage, RyanHollandActor.com. You can see the, the different work that I've done. So just recently, I was on a just-released episode of Mike Rose, The Story Behind the Story. That's on... Now tell us about that. What is this program, The Story Behind the Story? Yeah, so he has a... So Mike Rowe has a podcast called The Way I Heard It. And of course, I mean, you and I, we love Mike Rowe. And he just tells stories, interesting stories from American history. And he tells a story like the way, this is the way I heard it, how the story went. Well, he decided to make a TV show based off of his podcast. And that is called The Story Behind the Story. And in season three, episode seven, which I know it's right now, it's streaming on Sling TV. And there's a paid version and there's a free streaming with ads. But if you look up season three, episode seven of The Story Behind the Story, I play it's like a docudrama, so micro narrates through it. I play an advertising executive named Bob Stanford, who is responsible for coming up with the name of uh, the Slurpee, and it's the story of like Seven Eleven and I see it and all of that. It's actually quite. It is really interesting. It's actually a great program. I definitely recommend it. But yeah, so that actually I just saw that uh, today. Uh, on Sling TV. And if you go to my social media at Ryan Holland Acts, you can see some some photos and stuff there and get more information. Ryan, for quite a few months before you got this role, you were auditioning for it. And I know it was kind of a roller coaster. You were sure you were going to get it. You weren't sure you were going to get it. But it seemed like this was the most coveted role you had ever auditioned for. I could see how much it meant to you. Tell our audience why this film was so personally important to you and why it was such a dream come true when you got the job? Yeah, so, you know, I really began learning about Bonhoeffer a bit more deeply back in 2019. I went to an event in Houston that Eric Metaxas put on. I bought his book there, his huge Bonhoeffer Bible, and really just began to learn more about Bonhoeffer. Well, coincidentally, 2020 would be the very next year, and I found myself, and I think a lot of us found ourselves very disturbed about the way that the government was overreaching into our lives to the point of shutting down our churches. I mean, when in American history has that? Yeah, did we ever think we'd live to see the day? And we got to take a step back and go, because some guy goes on TV and says we all need to be locked in our homes, therefore, we're all locked in our homes. And I realize I'm simplifying it a bit. Well, that would be a phenomenon in its own right. We've since found that the guy going on TV saying we have to lock down was partly responsible for the virus getting invented and released. You can't make this stuff up. And so I was very concerned. Three weeks into COVID, I remember telling someone, like, I think I was telling our mutual friend of ours, Justin Parks, I think I was telling him, 
people who are high risk, yes, maybe they need to stay home, but this is like a bad flu. We need to like open things back up. We need to be smart and sensible about this. But we began to realize, and you and I and CGM radio team talked about this multiple times, is that it just became this beast that, no pun intended with the book of Revelation, that began to take over our lives and remove our freedom from the free exercise of religion to the freedom of speech, to the freedom of of the press and the censorship and everything going on. You literally, you could be a medical doctor, a licensed MD, and get deplatformed and sanctioned and lawsuits against you if you speak out against this experimental mRNA injection that's brand new that has zero long-term testing on it because it's brand new but we're going to or if you give somebody a drug that really cures covid you could get expelled for that yeah it's like they're all of a sudden calling ivermectin horse pace when it had won an award a few years before for its work on humans so what we saw was we saw an orwellian nightmare kind of unfathom before our eyes and the first time i was introduced to you again our mutual friend justin sent me a video of you when you were protesting i believe on the steps of the san diego uh, courthouse yeah yeah the san diego courthouse i'm like this guy's the real deal so hey yeah so y'all y'all make sure to subscribe to bob's podcast cgmradio.com slash bob so it's not because he has lots of great stuff to say and this broadcast if you can't catch the whole thing will be on there tomorrow but yeah and so i saw a kindred spirit with you so many of my friends were like what is going on here and i'm not going to go into the details of the way in which i personally protested but i did some stuff i was like i'm a revolutionary because i'm walking through the grocery store without some cheap 99 cent mask that doesn't block you from getting COVID anyway right and so the thing about dietrich bonhoeffer that's so fascinating he was one of the very first people to see Hitler for who he truly was. And for those who don't realize it, when Hitler first came into power, the high majority of churches and clergy went along with him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was not the only exception, but one of the few exceptions. And he started the confessional church, which eventually became an underground church. And he had the courage to protest what was going on in his country. So if you haven't heard the story of Bonhoeffer, we'll give you more detail later. But that, in a nutshell, is who we're talking about here. Yeah, and he joined a conspiracy with his brother-in-law, Hans von Donany, a conspiracy with him and several other people to literally with German military officials to take down Adolf Hitler. He was extremely brave. When Hitler was elected chancellor in 1933, within a few weeks, Bonhoeffer was on the radio denouncing Hitler. And there's actually some clips of that, uh, of some radio in the movie, which, by the way, if you're curious, you can find Bonhoeffer versus the Third Reich on Amazon Video and Tubi, uh, maybe some other places right now. So, yeah, he was very devoted. He saw very early on Hitler for who he truly was, and he had the bravery to resist and fight. He stood up for the Jews. He made a trip to America and saw two trips to America. And the first trip, He saw what was going on with blacks here in America. He actually, in like 1930, wrote, in a sad irony, he wrote, we actually have no parallel thing over in Germany. Well, unfortunately, a few years later, there would be because Hitler would take over and then there would be how he would treat the Jews and separate them out and the star and blocking them out and all of that, which honestly, if I can do a little tangent here, is very disappointing with what I saw in Israel with the Israeli Green Pass and them not allowing certain Jews to participate in, in society at large if, if they didn't have the 
experimental injection. Very, very disappointing. That was very disappointing because Israel is known as a progressive in the positive sense of that word. That word's been hijacked. And I, as a fellow Jew, I was very disappointed to see Israel be amongst the first nations to require that card. Yeah, I mean, literally, they made a deal with Pfizer. And the head of Pfizer literally said that those who spread COVID disinformation should be punished. In other words, if anyone says anything negative about my uh, lab creation here that I'm trying to force upon the entire world should be punished. I mean, it's like making a deal with the devil. Oh, they um, were talking about going into homes and removing kids from your home if they had COVID because maybe the parents weren't going to shelter them. Fortunately, a lot of what they said they were going to do, they didn't do. Nightmare stuff. But boy, a lot of nightmare stuff really did happen also. Yeah, I remember there's a quote on David Horowitz's site which says, inside every leftist is a totalitarian just screaming to get out. Um, <laughs> boy, that's- that's well said. And I, he's the greatest. And I remember, you know, years ago reading before 2020, reading that quote on his website. And then we see it with our own eyes in 20. Really, the, the inner what we saw in Canada with Justin Trudeau. So Bonhoeffer, before I saw the casting call for it in March of 2022, Bonhoeffer was already a hero of mine. He was already someone in my mind. He was already somebody that I thought about and on some level wanted to emulate in my own life because of his bravery and because i mean to go up against hitler and ultimately he gave his life he was killed by the nazis even though the nazis were losing the nazis had lost they still decided to go ahead and kill them because that's who they are and like i think a week or two later the u.s military liberated the camp he was at it was truly sad we have no video or no audio of bonhoeffer and isn't it true that bonhoeffer's friends had gotten him out of germany and he chose to go back because he felt if he wasn't willing to suffer with his country he would have no voice in their reconstruction perfectly said yeah so his second trip to america he could have stayed and avoided he would have lived many, many decades beyond 19. And he would have lived as a celebrated hero in many circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, he could have stayed in America, and I still you know, would want to read his writing and stuff. But he made a one-in-a-million decision. He decided to go back and to face the Nazis and stand with his people and be brave. And because he knew he, had, he was a follower of Jesus, and he knew that this was the right thing. To do So what's funny, though, is that when I saw the casting call, I was like, oh, I want to be in that movie. The thing is, I don't look a whole lot like Bonhoeffer. And so it never even entered my mind that I would play Bonhoeffer. I would, I would maybe, you know, just play a supporting character or something like that. Well, I'm glad so somebody I- put it more in terms of acting, because the truth is, it doesn't really matter how much you look like him if you're acting and selling the part. Sure, sure. And you know, when it came together, it came together really well. So yeah, when I submitted the audition, my first audition, I expected to maybe get a call back for a supporting role or something like that. But then they contacted me. They wanted me to do another audition, but they wanted me to read for Bonhoeffer. You must have just been blown away. Just blown yeah, away. I, I just, I remember I was literally, I was coming out to California. I've got family in Orange County, coming out to California to visit family. The plane lands, I stand up, check my email, and I see that email, and I'm surrounded by 100 people on the plane, and I'm like, in a daze, I'm like, oh my gosh, they want me to read for Bonhoeffer. You know, they didn't offer me the, just the idea that they wanted me to read for Bonhoeffer himself. When I tell you, that wasn't even on my radar. It was not on my radar. You know, so, you must have been so excited. It must have been difficult to keep your mask on you on the plane while you were on yeah. that. Trip. <laughs> we 
won't talk about any rebellion <laughs> with me and Matt on a plane. I've had the longest any. drinks of water I've ever had on my life on planes. Oh, because you oh, don't yeah. have to have well, your yeah. mask on if you're drinking water. Well, and, you know, if you have a huge bag of sunflower seeds. There you go. You con- there you, you go. Know. Yeah. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. And then so I submitted a second audition. And then it's a long story. A few months later, submitted a third audition. And this is where you and I come in, which is really. Yeah, funny. we were on the phone talking about something else. And didn't you suddenly get a text right while we were on the phone? Yeah. So I literally and this is how glamorous my life is, right? As an actor, I'm literally I just parked in the Home Depot parking lot because I need to get a new battery for my riding lawnmower. OK, so we, I've got some land out here and stuff. So I'm literally there to get a battery for my mower and we're on the phone together and I happen to see an email come through and sure enough it's the executive producer of Puritan Productions who put on Bonhoeffer versus Third Reich and the email is that we got the part is that I they're offering me the part to play Dietrich Bonhoeffer and as you can remember Bob there may have been a few tears I may have been a bit emotional. Well, I didn't blame you. There is nothing more exciting for an artist than to suddenly get news like that, especially after years and years of hard work and, like you said, constant back and forth of disappointment with some success. Yeah, yeah. And and I thought it was very special with you, of course, of Jewish heritage and, of course, our relationship as friends and kind of fighting the good fight together. I thought it was really, really awesome that providential and and perhaps uh, the Lord's timing that we were on the phone together when I got the part playing a guy that was literally trying to defend. Well, I felt very honored and very privileged to be able to be the one with you when you got that news. Oh man. Well, I appreciate that. But it, it was, so yeah, it was exhilarating. And then what's funny about when you're an actor, you're like, woohoo, you know, I got the part. I got, I got a dream role. Right. I mean, then it's like, Oh, I got the part. I got work to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, this was a massive script. What was the production time? How many months in the making was this movie? Yeah, I only had about four months. So I got the part in about mid-June 2022, and we started filming um, at the end of October. So I guess about five months to prepare, which wasn't a lot of time because I had a behemoth amount of lines to memorize. If you watch the movie, that's all completely memorized. There's no cue cards. No, I noticed, and I have seen the movie, and everybody should see this movie, but I did notice some things which I had not expected. For one thing, you mentioned our personal friend, Justin Parks. I did not know he was in it, and I saw your children in it. I thought I recognized them, then saw them in the credits, and wasn't your wife, Rachel, in part of it, too, or did I imagine that part? So, yeah, there was a Sunday school scene where Bonhoeffer and his girlfriend at the time, Elizabeth Zinn, were teaching Sunday school. So I was able to have not only three out of four of my kids, my three younger kids, as well as um, one of my daughters, uh, three of her friends that were in the Sunday school scene. So my wife was an extra in the London sermon scene, but she did not have a part in it. But, yeah, my kids were able to come and be a part of that Sunday school scene and stuff. And that was just absolutely wonderful. That was it was actually the first time that my family had actually been on set with me. Yeah, it's like I, the Von Trapp family singers here. Yeah. <laughs> now, I noticed that you also got some credit for the screenplay. You weren't the only writer, but how did it happen that you ended up writing? Were you expecting to be one of the writers for this thing initially, or did that happen later on? Not at all, Bob. Actually, I was shocked. I am a bit of a writer and fancy myself a bit more than an actor, but I'm not like a screenwriter. But as I was rehearsing with the executive producer, Margaret Z, and we're kind of going back and forth, we're working on scenes over Zoom, and I'm just sharing ideas that I have. And she was just so amazing and saying to me, Ryan, go write it. Like, write it. I'm like, 
Right. So like you were saying things like, I think this needs more. And then she says, well, why don't you go out and be the one to write it? Yeah. 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 And she even asked me, she asked me, I actually wrote the Sunday school scene. I actually wrote, there's a post-credit scene or the scene at the very end. I think there's one other scene I wrote. Yeah. I wrote a seminary scene, the one where I'm teaching. So yeah, there are actually three scenes that I wrote that I helped with editing, but it was simply because, yeah, I had gotten the role. I was not hired as a writer, but as we're talking, she liked my ideas and she liked the writing that I produced so much that she included, you know, the three scenes that I wrote in the film, which was an incredible honor, something that I, I absolutely was not expecting. So I did not write the script as a whole. That was Shelley Pano. And I know Margaret herself worked on the script some as well. Well, that says a lot about the great atmosphere with which you were working. What has been the response to this film? How's it been doing? Yeah, so I don't have the numbers and so forth on the film. But what I can tell you, I think one of the biggest positive encouragements I got from the film is that one of my best friends was watching the film and he told me, he said, Ryan, there was times in the film that I completely forgot that I was watching my friend Ryan. And his mind, he was just watching Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And then he would like snap out of it. He's like, oh yeah, that's right. That's Ryan <laughs> on the screen. That and, is uh, a great compliment. It was a great compliment. And of course, I don't normally wear those Bonhoeffer glasses. So uh, that <laughs> may have had a, had a little bit to do with it. But I love those Bonhoeffer glasses. I still have them in my office with me right now. Oh, that'll uh, become a collectible. Oh, hey, yeah, maybe I could get four ninety nine on, <laughs> on eBay somewhere yeah. one day. But yeah, so to have friends and people that have watched it and to get the, the positive encouragement and really enjoying the film and getting a lot out of it and compliments like that have just been really rewarding because you work. I worked very, very hard. It took every ounce in me to really put the time and the effort to you're not just memorizing lines and showing up on set, you're rehearsing, you're doing scene work, you're doing table reads, and you're just putting in the time. But I'm really happy and very blessed. And I know, you know, what was interesting that I want to make sure to share was that after my second audition, I didn't hear back from them for like a couple months. And I was confused because I really felt like the Lord was telling me that I've got this part, like I'm going to be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so I was confused because I submitted my second audition in April and May goes by and June goes by and I don't hear anything. But I like, I like knew that I was going to do this on some level. And so not only was I, for those who heard the first segment of this, was I called by the Lord into acting, I really felt like the Lord had this part for me, that he had called me to even do this role. And so when two months later it happened, then I got to really see like the, the fulfillment of what God was doing. And that is actually a whole kind of dramatic story in and of itself, but we just don't have time for it. But yeah, it was very rewarding when you like really felt like God was telling you, you're going to get this part and you eventually do. Boy, that's rewarding. But man, I'll tell you, sometimes you have to wait for it. <laughs> and that, was a, that was a long two months. Ryan, what similarities do you see between what's going on in America present day and what was going on in Germany shortly before Hitler took over, shortly in Hitler's early years, because that would be the most parallel time, I imagine. Yeah, Bob, you know, I don't want to talk about any controversial subjects. Oh, not you, no. (laughs) Ryan is quite savvy in the news of the world, you should all know. Well, acting can kind of pull me out of that for a while because my head's so in the clouds, I'm trying to prepare for a job. But I think what's very important for us to look at, I know for me, I'm looking at the First Amendment, and I know I'm looking at the Second Amendment. And you have to ask yourself the sick irony that it is that they call people like us Nazis when we are pro-freedom, we are pro 
Jewish. We are pro-Israel. We are pro-Second Amendment, pro-free exercise of religion. Well, and, and then when uh, there's real honest-to-goodness Nazis, they don't call it. The people that are murdering the Jews in Gaza right now are doing the tactics of the Nazis. It's pure anti-Semitism. It's pure Jew hatred. But they're called freedom fighters, and they're called yeah. resistance fighters. And then they honored a real ex-Nazi in Canada. You can't make this stuff up. When there's real Nazis, we don't call them Nazis. And then you get people that are actually Jewish, but because they speak against the Biden administration, they're called Nazis. Right, exactly. And speaking of Canada, I actually found this in the Epoch Times just before we came on. There was an email that was leaked from George Achi, A-C-H-I, director of the CBC, which is a Canadian news station. And the email that was leaked says, do not refer to militant soldiers or anyone else's, quote, terrorists. The notion of terrorism remains heavily politicized, and it's part of the story. And look what he says. Even when quoting, clipping a government or a source referring to fighters as terrorists, we should add context to ensure the audience understands this is opinion, not facts. I mean, these monsters are launching rockets into Israel. They're, I saw a video of them flying into Israel. They're kidnapping people. What, over seven, 800 Israelis are dead now. This is an infiltration. It's an invasion. And this isn't terrorism. Nothing is terrorism. And people forget, people forget the Gaza Strip was occupied by Israel. I use the word occupation very carefully. I don't like that word related to Israel, but for want of a better word right now, occupied by Israel during the Six-Day War in the 1960s and was given back just a few years ago as part of the land for peace exchange and almost immediately when Gaza was given back they started firing rockets into Israel. This idea that if Israel would just give back land, if we would just have a two-state solution, we'd have peace. Baloney, nobody over there wants peace. They want Israel completely annihilated. They say this. Nobody listens to what they're actually saying. Can I offer proof of what you're saying, Bob? So on Twitter yesterday, Ayatollah Khomeini said this on Twitter. He said, God willing, the cancer of the usurper Zionist regime will be eradicated at the hands of the Palestinian people and the resistance forces throughout the region. So he, I mean, they're not hiding it. He wants the Zionist regime eradicated and they're trusting in Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and those in Gaza and elsewhere to come and they want Israel wiped off. And they always did. Back during the United Nations partition where they wanted to have an Arab state and a Jewish state, the Jews agreed to it. The Arabs did not. They did not want the Jews living there at all. This is all a publicity ploy invented since then. Yeah, they've had multiple, multiple opportunities for a two-state solution. They don't want one. They have a one-state solution, which is no Israel. Yeah, Um, they want to share the land by living on top of the land and having the Jews buried under the ground. That's how they want to share the land. Yeah. Basically, basically. And so what I've been wondering regarding Israel is what has taken them so long to take back the Gaza Strip? I mean, think about it. Let's say we had some small nation on our southern border, right? We could call it Nation Uga Booga, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. And this nation has thousands of rockets aimed at us. And at any time those rockets could go off, even If they never fired a single shot, we would have every right to go in and stomp that. And and if we knew that their intentions were to, at any moment, they could start firing rockets at us. Well, we can't expect the Biden administration, which can't protect its own border, to 
show sympathy for Israel reclaiming a border of its own. And of course, the Biden administration, with all the millions upon millions of dollars we've just handed Iran, is responsible for this new wave of terrorism, even though Joe's talking real tough now and talking about sending in the Navy a little too little too late, Joe. Right. And they're going to they actually want us to believe that the six billion dollars that was that the Biden regime unfroze from Iran. They expect us to believe that's only going to go to food and water. No, the high majority of that always goes to terrorism. Everybody knows that. So, yeah, Trump is right when he has come out and denounced Biden for for what he's done with Iran. And that's the thing. And that's so the, the parallels that I'm seeing that I saw that we lived in and experienced and even in Republican states with Republican governors that enacted lockdowns as well. Thankfully, they're the first ones to open. But we saw freedom of speech taken away. We saw our churches shut down. And that's what the Jews and some Christians experienced in Nazi Germany that did not go along. You know, the greatest travesty, Bob, that I saw, I think, was how quickly our, quote, churches just bowed the knee to this tyranny. There were even churches talking about vaccine passports for church. Oh, yeah. And, and we're always so judgmental of Germany. How could they have gone along with the Nazis? Well, the Gestapo that they were going along with, they were going along with with threat of their lives. Our lives weren't even threatened. We voluntarily right. shut down an entire republic for a disease with a 99% recovery rate. Right. And so, look, it was, it's kind of weird, but living in maybe the reddest county in the country, we had, quote, underground church. I mean, we had people over for church when we weren't supposed to. And everybody was fine. Nobody got hurt as a result of it, right? But it was kind of weird. I'm in Texas. I'm in a super red county, and I'm going to, like, secretly do church. That should really give us pause. And, yeah, they're like, oh, how could you just go along with the Nazis? Yeah, like you were saying, they did it with the threat of their lives. We did it with no threat. With no, and strip clubs were considered essential services, but churches were not Uh, considered essential services. You just can't make this thing up. Well, Ryan, in the couple of minutes we have left, one or two more words about the Bonhoeffer movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, the title is Bonhoeffer vs. the Third Reich. It is streaming on Amazon Video and to be maybe some other places right now that I am not aware of. But you're going to see Bonhoeffer go from his early days, just out of seminary, all the way to being part of the conspiracy against the Nazi regime. You're going to see him at uh, Finkenwald Seminary. So there's uh, just a, a lot of great moments in the film. And yeah, I think it's a film that the whole family can watch. There's like one kind of intense part in there, but for the most part, it is a very family-friendly movie and definitely encourage you guys to check it out. And again, if you want to follow my work, I'm on Facebook, Instagram at Ryan Holland ACTS or RyanHollandActor.com. And yeah, I would be honored if you guys would take a look at the movie. Only by studying the past can we brace ourselves for our own future. Ryan, thank you, my friend. I'm awfully happy for you with this and all your other acting gigs. Thank you so much, Bob, for having me on. It was an honor and let's do it again sometime soon. All right, we sure will. This is Bob Siegel making the obvious obvious. Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.